0: We're back again. It's another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, Symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. And we are happy to have with us the innovation editor at the Financial Times and founder of Sifted.eu, focusing on startups, John Thornhill. Thanks for taking the time, John.
1: You're very welcome. Glad to join
2: you. Uh, John, nice to have you.
0: Well, John, you recently authored an opinion piece at the Financial Times headlined, Sociology, Not Technology, Will Decide the Electric Car Race. You've got a quote from Alan in there, so of course it's a great piece. Give us the, <laughs> give us the overview of what you focused on here. You start out with really a, a look at the history of the automotive industry.
1: So I was fascinated by the origins of the U.S. auto industry and uh, did a lot of reading about uh, how in the late 1890s and the early 1900s, there were hundreds of car companies were formed across America, this amazing kind of burst of innovation and experimentation, Um, And then the industry consolidated down to basically three players in the 1950s. Um, And I thought something similar was happening again today. Uh, There's a whole new wave of companies being created in the auto industry, uh, particularly in the EV sector. Um, A lot of money going in, a lot of venture capital money going in either directly or via the SPACs. Um, And this uh, uh, amazing battle really between the traditional car makers and a lot of EV startups, Tesla, obviously, has been the, the longest established and most successful of them. Uh, its market value is now um, enormous, uh, bigger than um, kind of Ford, uh, GM, Toyota and Volkswagen combined. Um, but you're seeing other EV companies as well emerging. And I just think that's a fascinating phenomenon.
0: The comparison is very interesting between what's going on today and, and the and the origins of the automotive industry when there were, I think, some attempts at electric vehicles as well, right?
1: Indeed. I mean, Alan knows uh, more about this than I do. But I mean, there clearly was a kind of battle as to which system was going to work and the combustion engine eventually prevailed. But there were people experimenting with other forms of technology at that time, for sure. Right.
2: As, as I like to say, if we were sitting, uh, you know, in, in 1910, uh, 110 years ago or so, and looking at the industry, we, we would probably be doing a podcast saying, my goodness, what do we have here? We have, we have steam, we have electricity, and we have this internal thingy. And, and, and they, were, they were out there. I don't know if we could have picked the winner out of that at that particular point in time of course the steam had had the history that it was sort of the smokestack industry uh, of the time electricity people had been certainly trying it and if you look at the electric traction the electric trolley industry it was the same way people were trying various experimentation as i like to say this is this is what the um, the AV community looks like and in some sense, in some sense, with respect to driverless. You know, uh, nobody's really doing it anywhere in the 1880s. Uh, there were a lot of folks trying stuff. I mean, it probably is exactly the same same thing. And 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 somehow something emerged and it worked and boom, all of a sudden it's everywhere. Right, John
1: jump in I think, I think the other interesting comparison is that uh the people who develop cars clearly think it's all about the technology they want to produce the best car they possibly can and i think the point you were making alan when we spoke uh, last was that it's also a- about the kind of sociology it- it's about how people adopt cars uh, the infrastructure that surrounds them um how people uh, are, how the cars are marketed um and sold and um promoted um, and it's so it's all of the kind of soft side of the auto industry, um, which I think is really important. And clearly, that's vitally important on the EV sector, where you've got to have a whole new infrastructure being built to support um, the EV sector. And uh, you know, as someone who's recently kind of bought an uh, an EV car, I can tell you, range anxiety is a real thing. <laughs> you've really got to kind of plot uh, where you're going, where you're going to stop to recharge, and so on. And it, so it becomes a far bigger logistical
0: exercise.
2: Right. It, 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 is, it really is a sociology. I wish we wouldn't call it soft versus hard because somehow it implies that this is unimportant. In, in the end, those two words should be probably flipped because, in fact, the technology is, in some sense, straightforward. Okay, the sociology, the people, the mindsets, the what you have to do, the madmen that you have to put together that promote this, that sell this, that that end up so that people go and take money out of their pockets and do it or even even, you know, elect people in, in 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 politics to 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 do it. I mean that is non-trivial and <laughs> this is this is you know you can't really get
1: your hands or you, it goes through your fingers and I think when new technologies come in there it clearly is a process of adaptation isn't there I mean I was uh, reminded in this country that uh, when the first automobiles hit the road they were preceded by uh, people waving red flags to warn pedestrians to get out the way and that survived quite a long time and um, so uh, you know, I think there is always a process of adaptation and legislative change. The insurance industry has to change, and the whole infrastructure has to develop.
2: Absolutely, and I, I don't know whether or not you found in there to to what extent in your research, to what extent those that were making the 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 horse and buggy carriages uh, were 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 among the players or not among the players, or were they knew the new Henry Fords out there creating from from you know. <laughs> uh pure ground uh a uh, new industries go, go ahead john <laughs>
1: yeah no i uh you know i mean i think you get all kinds of people coming into an industry you get the established players who are trying to kind of reinvent what they're doing and to grab market share in a new market. You've got um, kind of wild-eyed pioneers who have this great technological breakthrough that they're obsessed with trying to develop. And you've got designers, um, you've got amateurs, you've got cranks, you've got all kinds of people uh, piling into <laughs> an industry, uh, which it makes it so interesting to write about at the moment.
2: Right. And it, and it, it's, it's, it's really exactly what's going on. You know, Silicon Valley is a new or what the Chinese are doing doing you know in terms of pumping this up well maybe it's new maybe because it's coming out of i, I don't know <laughs> talk to I mean, me here john <laughs>
1: uh, i mean i think what's fascinating as well is that uh, there is clearly a kind of speculative boom uh, in the kind of ev market in particular you are getting a lot of companies being brought to market via specs and um, just invested in by the, the uh, other car companies as well um and uh, I haven't done this, but uh, uh, maybe I should do it a bit more systematically. But when you see, look at the business plans of all of these companies and you add up all the market shares uh, that they're projected to achieve, I can tell you that it comes to a hell of a lot more than 100%. So there <laughs> clearly is going to be a lot of blood on the carpet. I mean, a lot of these companies are going to go bust, as they did in the kind of 1910s and 1920s and 1930s. Um, and uh, it will be fascinating to see who emerges as winners from this process.
0: I guess you could expect to see uh, more mergers along the way, too. Yeah,
1: I think there will be a whole wave of consolidation, I I think, I mean, as we're already seeing some of the big car makers are kind of buying into uh, the the sector, um, both on the EV side and the AV side are trying to develop their expertise. Um, And I think uh, there's a bit of a battle going on, Um, as one kind of analyst put it to me, there's uh, struggle between the hardware companies, as it were, the traditional car makers who are trying to understand and get software to work, and the software companies, you know, the new entrants like the Googles and so on, who are trying to get the hardware to work. And it's an open question, I think, as to which of those two sectors uh, wins. Um, but I think we're going to see all kinds of kind of cross uh, pollination between the the two sides of this. Um, and you know, I mean, as Alan, we were talking about the other day. I mean, in in a sense, cars are used to be kind of tin boxes, but they're now becoming computers on wheels. And the software component of a a car is becoming increasingly important. And it will be interesting to see to what extent that is the differentiating factor in terms of who buys a car in the future.
2: Yeah, I think I think that was the interesting part, the question that you raised with respect to, you know, who who is who's going to be if there is a winner that pulls the whole thing out of there? Is it going to be the software folks or is it going to be the hardware folks? And and of course, it depends on a little bit on who you talk with, because certainly the hardware folks come and tell you that hardware, even though you might look at it as being trivial, you know, these cars have to be painted Okay, and so you need to be able to do the painting well. You know, there are things like that, you know, of course the tires have to work, the wheels have to not fall off. And, and you know, those kinds of, of, of fundamental things, which then suggest, hey, you, you better not take the hardware too lightly on this thing. And if we look if we look at the computer industry, the take it to PC or whatever, which one you want, you know, there's always been sort of the hardware folks out there and thank goodness for Moore's law that's gone in there and done some really great things out of that but then again you know what did Steve Jobs really do I mean what you see is what you got I mean that made a, such an enormous difference I mean I, mean, I, I used to my, my dissertation was two boxes of cards you know I drop a box of cards holy hell I got start over I mean I to, I mean the, the the fundamental difference of what the software did, but working with it, I don't know, yeah. I don't know which one we can might say is winning that race
1: right now, yeah. John. And you're definitely seeing that with, uh, I mean, Tesla. Uh, you and Elon as I think, talk very <laughs> kind of uh, powerfully about this that uh, trying to scale up um, a, a brilliant kind of prototype car into a mass-produced um, product is a fantastically difficult thing to do, um, and to make sure that every car that comes off the production line is up to standard, is not going to fail, um, is going to be a, enhance the quality of your brand. That's a really tough game, as all the traditional car makers know very well. Um, that's not an easy business at all. Um, I tend to think, though, that, um, you know, I mean, the car makers also face an enormous challenge on the software side because uh, it's traditionally been something they've tended to outsource. Um, they have kind of looked to partner with um, outside partners. It's not a kind of core competence that many of them have. Uh, And it'd be interesting to see whether they feel as though they need to develop that kind of software side or whether they think they can still carry on kind of outsourcing it to other people if it becomes an increasingly critical component of their service that they are offering. Um, So people, as you know, I mean, talk about mobility as a service. That's the way that we're heading. Uh, And if you get into the kind of service business rather than the product business, then that seems to me to argue that the software is more likely to win.
2: Yeah, I, it, I I sort of agree with you on that one. That the, the software is really critical because because what you what one's doing with that is you're saying that the software is ba- really the thing that's going to manage and make this thing just sing and work. And you aren't going to rely on an individual to do it. That's the real advantage of all this. But it has to work. It, 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 you know, I mean, it can it can feel sort of every once in a while, but it really I mean, the, 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 the probability of failure has to have a bunch of point nine nines on it. Otherwise, you're, you're somebody's got to pick up the tab and the picking up of the tab there is is really is really
1: the tough one. I'm very intrigued by where the AV revolution is going, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Alan. Um, I mean, I, I think the um, uh, obviously the kind of end game of all this, according to a lot of the car makers, is to have kind of fully on demand EVs and AVs. Um, and I think that starts to do really interesting things to transport systems if that ever happens. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Singapore and I visited an autonomous driving company there and had a ride in one of their too, cars. Too simple,
2: you know. probably, or maybe, or maybe another one. I don't go ahead. Go. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's obviously <laughs> a really great experience in its own right. But their modeling uh, was that I think at that time, Singapore had about 900,000 cars on the road. And their projections were that if you could get a fully autonomous, EV fleet uh, on the roads of Singapore, you could probably get away with 300,000 cars, which would in a sense have a a massive uh, benefit to the environment in terms of the number of cars that you produced and needed to run. But it also means that you'd have those cars pretty much rotating permanently on the roads, uh, except when they needed to recharge. Um, uh, And that would change the whole way that uh, transport systems work. You wouldn't own a car, you would just use mobility as a service and use your app to call a car and to take you to Changi Airport whenever you wanted to.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with that vision. I mean, that's why I work on this every day is because I still I've I've consumed the, the Kool-Aid and 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 fundamentally believe that that there's enormous social value associated in providing mobility and we don't need to be out there controlling our own cars to be able to go to a and B. I always use the as elevator as the analogy. My goodness, if we had to have an elevator operator, you know, chauffeuring us up and down the elevators. I mean, I don't know who could afford an elevator yet. You know, you big, big, put a big building, you have the mobility system up and down the building, you can rent out the 14th, the 80th, and so on floors. Uh, why? Because, because this on demand uh, 24 7 365 blah 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 availability of this thing it's an absolutely necessary condition the, the way we've developed our our horizontal living as opposed to our vertical living is that is that my goodness we everybody's relied upon somebody going out and buying a car having a car driving a car doing it providing from themselves i mean that's a fundamental of the horizontal system that we that we've dispersed ourselves in if you can change that if you can make it on demand like that cheap to do who knows what the heck it does i mean you know that
1: i had quite a lot of uh, kickback on the article that i wrote Uh, From kind of environmental campaigners um, questioning the whole premise of the kind of EV industry to begin with. Um, I mean, is it really uh, that beneficial to the environment if if you uh, are still producing cars more rapidly and therefore a lot of these cars are going to go obsolete uh, quite quickly and will have to be replaced? Uh, But secondly, the the whole argument about... um, whether uh, electricity is produced in a clean way. And clearly, if you're getting electricity from coal-powered fire stations, then that's not really doing anyone any good um, in environmental terms. So I think all of these things have to go together, don't they? Uh, You have to create uh, electricity from sustainable sources in order to get the environmental benefits of moving the fleet towards uh, electrification.
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, that argument exists. Everybody knows that argument exists, that, that in fact, you know, that you convert something that, that doesn't use electricity as something uses electricity. It's the marginal electricity. Okay, so what? where's that going to come from? And what's easy to turn on? A coal power plant. You know, you aren't going to go out there and put more coal more turbines out there or or whatever i mean all that we have we don't have enough turbines to turn off all the coal power fired plants already so you know they're there because so yes but uh, but if (laughs) those two things have to work together and you know which one leads which one
1: that they should work Synergistically together, right? I mean, uh, Uh, one of the other interesting trends I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on, Alan, is uh, as well, is that there are a number of kind of mobility apps and businesses that are developing. uh, Whereas you know, Uber will just focus on the kind of car uh, mobility, although they're now kind of diversifying it as well into kind of uh, bikes or scooters or whatever. Um, But uh, more of a kind of integrated app, so that um, you're in Cologne uh, and you want to get somewhere. Uh, that it would recommend whether you should walk or take the the metro or a bus or a car or uh, um, whatever. Um, And I think that that's quite an interesting phenomenon that um, that kind of goes beyond uh, kind of the individual companies who are operating in this area. What do you think about that? I mean, are we going to get a kind of fully integrated mobility as a service concept, do you think, developing? Or uh, is it really going to be kind of individual companies who dominate their particular sectors? I, I, to me the, the
2: to, those are real, if you take all the trips today in the US there will there will be there are on a typical day 1.1 1. 1, 1. 1.2 billion trips person trips that use a, a vehicle and, and it's, the people decided not to walk. I mean, I guess they could have walked them all if we didn't have any of this stuff. But, you know, in the decision process of what everybody has available to them, the decision process that the brain goes and goes out pre-pandemic. OK, I, I, we won't. Pandemic, it's got to be over sometime and we can move back to, to what we are used to. But that's a whole other. But. Pre-pandemic, 1.1, 1.2 billion trips, person trips. Okay, most of them are made by automobile. Okay, maybe 2% in the United States are made by transit. Okay, um, who knows? Way less than 1% are made by bicycles. And if you did it on a on a person mile basis, it'd be even smaller. Okay uh the number of times that you're moving that you're in cologne as opposed to princeton is like you know <laughs> tail of a distribution it's you know way out the bulk of the things are the things that we as as living objects do on a typical day recurrently that you go get a quart of milk whatever to do those kinds of things okay and and i think that 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 if we really want to to address that and 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 enhance quality of life, we want to enhance the quality of life of what the things we do on a daily basis, improve that a little bit. Find those that don't have the opportunity to do those things because they don't happen to have a car, or at least that's what I like to argue. Boy, if you don't have a car available out here, you know, right out here to hop in to go whenever you want, two o'clock in the morning or or ten o'clock in the morning or whatever. <sighs> I got to wait for the bus. I got to, I got to do one. I got to do do da, da, do. I mean, if, if one could provide just like, if you're in a tall building and you walk down the hall and an elevator comes by and you get on, you don't even think about it. Yeah. I think that, um, you know that's the big one to me. And that's, that's the real enhancement in the sociology. And that's, that's that, that sociology is the sociology that I think we need to,
1: work on first? I think the pattern of mobility is clearly changing um, in a different way in Europe uh, to the the US. And so, I mean, I think when you go to any major uh, kind of European city now, uh, when you're allowed to, that is, you know, whether it's London or Paris or Amsterdam or Stockholm or Berlin, um, they are visibly different cities now from when they were when uh, I was growing up. Um, uh, You know, cyclists are everywhere in all of these cities. You have many more people walking, there are fewer cars. Uh, there are, Most of these cities now um, levy congestion charges um, pollution charges on cars to try to deter um, people from the centre. Uh, you get a lot more kind of pedestrianised um, areas, particularly in cities like Paris. Uh, so I think that there is um, a real attempt to try to come up with alternative methods of um, transport. But as you say, I mean, the the car for many people is indispensable, Um, and uh, I think it's um, how we can integrate all of these different methods of transport that's going to be intriguing. Yeah, I mean, I think
2: every time I've gone to England, I've refused to drive because the reason is you do it on the wrong side of the road. Okay, and and
0: you (laughs) know, the right side of the road. I
2: I think I can do it, but but if it comes crunch time in which i need to react to save my butt i think i'll do the wrong reaction because my reaction is so trained by you know the way i drive around here i'd be afraid to just do the absolutely wrong thing so i've refused i refuse to to drive and uh, okay so I've been driven or I just walk or I just you know do take them take the underground and whatever and, and you know great and, and it has to be so you know there are those issues and of course you know you go to Paris and I mean you'd be crazy to rent a car and try to drive I, I gave that up I mean I speak the language and I gave that up long time ago I can't, can't handle that where you come here go to New York don't even try it in Manhattan, OK, or Brooklyn, maybe Staten Island. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Anyway. Uh, and it's also going to be interesting in a lot of Asian cities as well, isn't it? Um, where, particularly in China, where I was talking to an architect the other day who's helping design uh, completely new cities in China. Uh, and they are planning for uh, a completely different kind of urban environment Uh, whereby you would have uh, special lanes for autonomous vehicles with all the kind of embedded um, technology that you need in stop signs and so on in in order to uh, accelerate the adoption of that kind of technology. And they have um, quite consciously reduced the space that is devoted to car parks um, in these city centres and on the streets as well, uh, figuring that they will need a far fewer vehicles
0: than, um, you know, in a, a traditional city. Yeah. We'll be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, Symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, check out a white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under a tab called Insights and News. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you probably know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more Smart Driving Cars and our guest, John Thornhill of the Financial Times. John, so much focus when we talk about EVs has been on Tesla. Do they still have, from your perspective, a big technological edge over the- Competition?
1: Uh, speaking to other EV makers, I th- think there's kind of enormous respect for how Elon Musk has kind of revolutionized the entire sector and still holds, I think, quite a significant uh, lead uh, when compared to most other EV makers. And I think the other extraordinary uh, aspect of uh, Elon Musk is that, um, uh, you know, as they say, he's the kind of emperor of memes. Uh, he has created this. Uh, enormous kind of uh, buzz around the company. Uh, He's made EVs cool, which many people thought was a completely impossible thing to do a few years ago. Uh, And and so there is a whole kind of culture um, uh, associated with the the Tesla brand and the kind of followership that he has. So I think um, uh, Tesla is very much a kind of unique company. Uh, I think there are others that uh, are coming along which are producing really very interesting Uh, EVs. So the one I'm uh, fascinated to see what's going to happen with is Lucid. Um, I spoke to kind of Peter Rawlinson, the CEO, uh, uh, recently uh, about how they're developing their Lucid Air, which is going to be on sale later this year. uh, Which, by the looks of it, will be an astonishingly uh, good car um, with a range of about 517 miles. I think. Uh, He was uh, suggesting, which would make it very easy to drive uh, from San Francisco to Los Angeles um, with music glaring out and the air conditioning fully on, which I think it needs to be in that part of the world at the moment. Um, And, uh, you know, you would have no range anxiety doing a trip like that. And I think that begins really to change the equation as well on EVs, that when you can make really significant journeys without any worries about uh, kind of recharging, that gets you into new territory, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I'd throw in there, I think Ford and the Ford F 150 EV, maybe maybe more than Musk's, whatever tr- pickup truck he's been designing that we all know. It's like, whoa. The Cybertruck. The <laughs> Cybertruck. Um, if in the US, those folks, buy pickups which is a substantial part of the light duty vehicle market because if you actually look at the market in the united states uh, as to light duty vehicles it's about 50 50 cars and trucks you know some of them aren't trucks they're suvs why they're suvs is because the suv is built on the truck body and the truck body had a what in, in in the in the fuel economy standard had a different standard than the car body, and it had a less egregious standard, and so everybody moved everything over to less egregious environmental standard, okay, and went and bought the never, but that's that's what's happened there. But now, if all of a sudden that market. That mind—not to say that it's good, bad, indifferent—mindset. That mindset that buys pickups. People like to haul stuff. I, I, I'm sure they don't just haul stuff. And you go into a Ford F-150, you think you're in a you're in a limousine, okay? If 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 they sell if Ford sells the Ford F-150 EV,
1: wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk to me here. Well, I think you're you're definitely going to get the, the pull factor from the consumers as you're talking about. Uh, you're also going to get quite a big push factor, I think, from governments. I mean, particularly in Europe, they're already um, suggesting that uh, kind of dates when they're going to phase out the combustion engines uh, on the roads. Um, and so I think, you know, countries like Norway, the EV adoption has uh, rocketed um, because of largely because of government measures. Sure. Uh, so I think um, that's going to be an interesting factor to watch in Europe in particular. I mean, China clearly had a, a, a strong lead in EV adoption. And uh, looking at the latest numbers, there's been a kind of fast growth in Europe and um, in terms of kind of unit sales. Now, Europe is um uh, really, kind of rapidly catching up, and in some countries, overtaking China in the kind of rate of growth at which it's experiencing. So, um, I, yeah, I think but it's... that's been on the pricing.
2: I mean, you know, the the egregious uh, um, taxes that are placed on internal combustion engine and the and the 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 regulated um, incentives. But as as I see the 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 forward. Uh, F one fifty electric vehicle pickup. That is, you know, purely a, a market, uh, you know, a market driven type of thing. And if that it, it, that that means that to me that the fundamental sociology has changed. Not, you know, Europe may say, hey, we don't want pickups on there, and they're way too big, and all the other things. I I don't know, or maybe, maybe you, I don't know, maybe Ford will bring it over there, and you guys go nuts. I I don't know.
1: One other aspect I think of this, which is kind of intrigues me as well, is the uh, on the question of who's going to make money out of this. Uh, is it the people who are selling, the, in effect, the kind of picks and shovels of this new um, transport revolution, who are going to make the real money, um, as opposed to the people who are trying trying to strike gold? Um, and so, I mean, you're getting a lot of money going into the the charging infrastructure, in the battery production, uh, and um, you know the, some of the insurance companies that are emerging to kind of. Uh, Figure out new ways of um, uh, kind of charging uh, insurance or pricing insurance as well. Um, and I think that people, that's maybe a kind of steadier um, kind of way of making money, uh, or at least a, a less volatile way of uh, making money. Uh, if you can um, run the railroad rather than the trains, that might be interesting.
0: What about the I... opportunities in creating the clean energy that Alan pointed out needs to come in, in tandem with it? For sure, yeah. yeah no, I, I
2: mean- I, 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 let me, John. Let me ask you about this. I mean, as you look at Tesla, um, uh, you know, Tesla. Tesla is the car, but Tesla is really more than just a car. I mean, sort of the part of the brilliance of, I'll call brilliance of Elon. One, he recognized that if I re- am going to compete in there with with building the car, I might as well. Build a car that has half as many parts as the other guys are building. I mean, you know that that is a fundamental advantage, you know, of an electric vehicle. And then and then realizing right from the beginning that who might buy these things? Well, it's people that already uh, that, that this isn't their only car. So of course, I'll sell it to the rich folks in in, in California because you know. Essentially, everybody has who knows how many cars in California. I'm overstating it, but, you know, all of a sudden, they're sneaking one of these guys in there. And I'll put the charging infrastructure. I'll start doing that thing. And I'll work on the batteries and I'll work on the generation of the electricity that has to go in there and the solar cells. And, the, you know, he's almost like Henry Ford, you know, who says, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make the steel that has to go into the car and, in fact, invest in the in the petroleum that, you know, it's talk to me here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I think it's fascinating how a lot of the EV companies, um, or the new ones anyway, have started at the kind of top end of the market, as you're saying with um, Tesla or clearly Lucid is trying to do the similar strategy. They're trying to produce uh, what are very expensive uh, luxury cars uh, to establish the kind of brand in the market and then almost work down and figure out how they can make these cars cheaper and cheaper to appeal to a bigger Mass audience. That's an interesting kind of strategy to adopt, and I guess different from the kind of traditional auto industry, which is based on mass producing cars at far cheaper points. And as you're saying, Alan, I mean, if uh, the kind of Ford can get that right, you know, Volkswagen is making a very big play in Europe on that front, kind of uh, Volvo and so on. And a lot of the Chinese companies are, uh, and in India, we're even seeing some kind of EV companies who are uh, producing very cheap cars now, and they're trying to transform the economics of it. So I think there are different ways of trying to tackle this market, aren't there? Um, uh, You either try to go for a kind of high quality brand, and then, try to establish that uh, with a kind of pricing premium, or you go for the kind of the mass um, market uh, product um, and these are different economics that apply in both cases
0: i think I think there were more rumblings this week about the a twenty five thousand dollar Tesla coming in the i don 't know what how far off but within a couple of years
1: yeah, I think when you get to those kind of price points, then you do reach a kind of switchover moment, I think don 't you that uh, uh, at the moment, uh, you have all kinds of people who are saving up um, because they are desperately to associated with a Tesla and um, the brand, and it is, as Alan's saying, a beyond a kind of car company. It's buying into a kind of lifestyle or almost a cult. Um, but once it's you, it's apple purchase, all over again, isn't
0: it? Indeed, yeah. Um,
2: So the the, looming is also, you know, the the mass really mass produced um, electric vehicle coming out of China that ends up looking like, uh, you know, the the scooters or the electric bikes and. I don't know, people might all of a sudden suggest, oh, my goodness, we, we've seen that before in the U.S. We thought that that was the, the Japanese back in 1960 or something like that about to flood us with these, you know, rinky dink, whatever you
0: Yugos. Huh? huh? <laughs> the Corollas, the Corolla, the Corolla. or whatever. <laughs> and then
2: all of a sudden, you know, the, the Japanese are making these things that are actually better than the GM vehicles and so on. And then, of course, then it was, uh, you know, game over. Uh, but, but you know there there's this
1: this thing looming isn't there It's I mean amazing in China I was there a few years ago and it was the kind of peak of the kind of uh, bike boom the kind of uh, bike rental boom and I think there were uh, something approaching 50 or 60 companies that IPO'd in China uh, all with basically the same business plan the game was just to raise as much capital to create your networks as fast as you can Um, And then, of course, a few years later, there's mass destruction of all these surplus bicycles that um, were just left abandoned on the streets. Um, And it's an amazing kind of model of you just throw a lot of capital on the market very quickly to see who wins. Um, And then those that do can kind of scale uh, quickly and those that don't die very fast. Um, That's certainly a very different way from doing it in in Europe.
2: So one question I might like to ask you, if you in your in your looking, uh, um, is the, is there a Hindenburg moment in the in the EV business? Uh, you know, we're we're at the very beginning of it still, okay. And the Hindenburg was somewhat at the beginning of this great new way to cross the oceans and travel between cities and ultimate luxury and comfort. And then one one afternoon, not far from here, boom, game over. (laughs)
1: yeah uh, okay. one would like to think the situations are quite different I, i'm uh, sure they are yeah uh, one would like to think i'm not asking the question
2: okay i don't know I just um, throw it out there to have some fun
1: yeah no i mean uh, that, that i think probably lesser than on the ev side but definitely on the av side um uh, i mean as as we can already see uh the minute any kind of um or uh, semi-autonomous car uh kills someone it's front page news around the world yeah. um And so our kind of risk uh, tolerance uh, for uh, automated decision-making systems that go wrong is really very low. Um, uh, And yet we seem to uh, coexist with human drivers on the road, many of whom are completely crazy and do terrible things. Um, We we can
0: kill each other, but we can't let a computer kill us. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, So I think, you know, I mean, it's quite possible that we'll get some horrendous accident caused by an AV and that will be a kind of Hindenburg moment. It will kind of set back the industry. And that's definitely something that people who are pushing the autonomous revolution are worried about uh, and that they are concerned that one of these companies is just going to push too early uh, too quickly uh, and that there will all be a big public reaction which will then lead to kind of a fast stricter regulation uh, and controls on the industry and it will set it back a long way. Um, so I think you're right that um, uh, there is a risk of a, a very bad accident happening and then a, a very bad public reaction. But I can't quite see that happening in the EV market. Can you?
2: Well, I mean, the, the only thing that could happen in the EV market is, is these batteries are burning um, is, is, is disconcerting a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, cars with gas tanks have been blowing up for, you know, 100 plus years. Okay. And we've, Done with. It. I mean, they closed I ninety five a couple of days ago because of a car fire. You know, I mean, I'm. Sh- well, I I hope I don't know. Maybe it was an EV. I I didn't look into it, but I, I I'm imagining it wasn't an EV. But the, you know, the when, other- when, when 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 Boeing, uh, you know, was put trying to put out the Dreamliner aircraft, what was the problem? You know, the batteries were, bur- the,
1: the batteries were burning. <laughs> the other nightmare scenario, I think, for the EV industry would be uh, the fact that it is a connected um, charging system. Uh, and so I mean, as I'm now discovering to my great delight that uh, you have to download a lot of different apps for different kind of charging companies um, uh, in order to kind of uh, charge up your car. Um, and all of them depend on kind of internet connectivity. Um, so it's not impossible to imagine that we have some horrendous kind of cyber attack that takes down networks yeah. and therefore the whole system gets paralyzed really quite quickly. Um so I, I think there are vulnerabilities in the system um, for sure, uh, and you know I, I think we will see those over the next few years. Sort of the Possibly other
0: solvable. One. Uh, Elon Musk has an internet connection via satellite too. <laughs> so. Yeah,
2: and he's putting up this, whatever. Um, uh, the, but uh, I think the other thing, sort of in the news these days, has been sort of the hydrogen economy and and fuel cells and so on, and and you know, I. I guess I you know back in the 70s I dealt with the <laughs> with a hydrogen economy and thought it was great you know but holy heck uh, you know here it is uh, 50 years later and, and whatever and we had Apollo uh, 13 uh, what was the problem with the Apollo program it was it was damn fuel cells you know and and uh, um and she's, uh, what the, and hydrogen and then it brings back the whole Hindenburg thing almost in in spades. Oh. I mean, I i just.
1: Yeah, it's a bit like uh, Brazil is the country of the future and always will be. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bit like that, with we're hydrogen, nasty. You know.
2: that. We're being nasty here, John. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you
0: know, one of the things that we're including, Alan, is that Information Trends has a new research study out, uh, market research study saying close to 600,000 hydrogen fuel cell buses and mini buses will be in service by 2035
2: yeah i think that's what i was referring to and i'm just i mean i i sort of roll my eyes on that one you know like to hear about it but uh uh and maybe you know maybe i I don't know i uh, again i think we said that 50 years ago although i may have said we would have automated driverless vehicles 50 years ago too so i don't know Um. uh
1: and in, I mean, yeah. in some sectors, clearly there has been enormous technological process, and you could have made the same argument about batteries, I guess, a while back, couldn't you? That, uh, but the kind of costs and the power of the batteries is, um, yeah, I mean, batteries are amazingly yeah. different
2: batteries have right. all batteries i mean i i like to say you know, going all the way back to 1837 or something like that batteries have been a challenge i mean it's always seemed to be you know that is almost the perpetual motion machine you mean you mean i get it moving and when i slow down i replenish it and to use it to speed up again i mean let me get that efficiency to zero and it's perpetual motion i mean anybody who's ever been an innovator or whatever knows i mean that that's that's elon musk 101 stuff you know that's (laughs) and of course and 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 geez it's taken us it's taken us 150 years to make some modest improvement in that with with these lithium batteries that we seem to and
1: you know it's been tough and i think that's going to be a constraint on the future of the industry as well isn't it the um uh, just the kind of physical constraints on some of the supplies that are needed. Lithium clearly is a very difficult uh, component to, to kind of stick into a battery. Um, we obviously have a computer chip shortage around the world, which is massively affecting the auto industry, kind of nickel, cobalt and so on are also used in uh, batteries and, um, you know, that can s- supply constraints on those as well. So uh, I think the EV revolution is happening and, and it's happening really very fast now, but, um Uh, You know, there are going to be things that are going to pull it back, I think, uh, above and beyond the desirability of of the cars themselves. Yeah, there seems to be
0: such an R&D push out there today when it comes to batteries that we didn't see before. I mean, there's an urgency to it now.
1: Yeah. And I mean, a huge amount of money is going into this. Uh, We were writing on Sifted the other day about this um, kind of Nordic uh, battery company, Northvolt. Uh, which is trying to use hydrometallurgy to uh, recycle um, a, a lot of batteries um, and uh, amazing uh, kind of scale of operations that they're operating on. Um, you know, that, that plant in um, kind of north, just south of the Arctic circle, I think is uh, kind of covers the equivalent of about a hundred football fields. Uh, billions of dollars are, are going into this company. And um, so you're seeing these enormous gigafactories emerging around the world uh, to produce batteries and, when you get on that kind of scale of operation it's quite kind of eye opening yeah
2: yeah and and one and i guess that's a good thing that in fact it it shows the beginning of a maturity here because at some point there there gets to be such momentum behind this you know, the mad men of 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 um, Madison Avenue end up figuring out ways that, you know, we all go in there and, and pull the money out of our pockets and, and buy this and deal with the sociology. But I think bringing this back to the sociology there's probably some significant money that deserves to go into the sociology of this thing. And I, I'm not sure who's going to do that. What's going to do that, how that's going to happen. But, uh, but it's, it'd be, it'd be nice to have um, more than just a few dollars in that one or or pounds.
1: I guess the economists would also question uh, whether this is a productive or an unproductive boom in terms of the kind of capital that is thrown at the market. I mean, uh, as we have seen, um, you know, we, we have examples where a huge amount of capital gets thrown at a particular industry at a particular time. A huge amount of it is wasted. Um, everyone says it's a disaster. Uh, the whole market collapses. People lose a lot of money. And it's pretty much at that point that the the real adoption of that technology then starts. Um, and because it has laid the groundwork for railway networks or kind of telecoms yeah. networks, yeah. cable networks or whatever, um, and uh, so I think we're getting to that almost at that point now in kind of the EV infrastructure, aren't we? Uh, I don't think it's there yet, but um, I think we'll soon be at the point that all of this kind of capital has gone into the market, and therefore um, will um, kind of spur uh, the technological adoption, irrespective of what happens to the kind of speculative booms and busts.
2: Yeah, I, I you know one I just... one.
0: Go ahead,
2: yeah. Alan. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that just came to my mind associated with the EV thing, you know, um, um, the Car the the conventional internal combustion engine in terms of refilling the energy, you know, was a was a basically real fast boom done get out of here. And in fact, you know, what do you look? You look at your typical the filling station. It is you know there's no no re, no nice attribute associated with it. It's you know come in here get your thing done get the heck out of here. Which is the way airports used to be before 9 11. Okay, why? Because I, we all ran like O.J. Simpson to get into that you know, gate as just as it was closed and get in the airplane and spent zero time in the airport, or at least the objective was to spend zero time in the airport. There were no restaurants, there was nothing or whatever. All of a sudden, we had to go through through, through the, the, the checkpoints and you had to arrive two hours early and you're sitting there. How did airports respond to that? I mean, they have really fine dining in there. They have all kinds of places that people reach down and take, try to take your money and, and do things for you. Now, maybe this is what happens around Tesla's charging places. You have to be there a half hour well, maybe now they'll focus on that half hour or whatever that you have to be there. And all of a sudden you're going to say, geez, I think I'll stay here for an hour, two hours. And what, I don't know. I don't know what that ends up building on that just to then get to the sociology part of this thing and take this range anxiety business out of all of our heads and all of a sudden enjoy, I, I don't know, Somebody's going to come up with that stuff. Yeah, ahead,
1: no, it's interesting what you're saying. Cause uh, we were driving in England, um, Uh, the other weekend, uh, back from the north of England, where my in-laws live, uh, and we had to stop off to recharge. Um, And we didn't stop at a petrol station, we stopped at a Starbucks by the side of the the motorway. Uh, They had installed themselves all the kind of charging points. So I mean, it's Starbucks who are now running the kind of electricity charging points, which makes sense, because if you have to stop for 45 minutes, then you go in and you eat. Um, You know, there's no reason why, you know, it's the big kind of oil companies who run the petrol networks who um, are going to benefit from this
2: they charge you 10 pounds (laughs)
0: refuel you while they're refueling yeah they
2: charge you 10
1: (laughs) pounds for a a
2: 10 cent cup of coffee and and you get to use the internet whatever and you buy i mean you
0: know they're not stupid okay (laughs) well there's one other news item we wanted to touch on with you john if you you can here in the u.s uh, the national highway traffic safety administration this week ordered makers and operators of highly automated and partially automated vehicles to inform the agency of any serious crashes within a day and provide more complete data within a couple of weeks. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think the whole regulation of the autonomous car industry is, is going to develop very fast. Uh, And I mean, talking to people in this area, I think it's something that's now happening on an international level as well, isn't it? That, um, uh, we've had this kind of patchwork quilt of different regulations in different countries. And the car companies themselves, I think, want a more kind of standardized approach to what's going on if they're going to try to invest in technology. There's no point in complying with uh, different operating systems, as it were, in different countries. And as I understand it, I mean, in the States, there are different regulations applying different states, which means it's already difficult for cars to come kind of across state boundaries. Um, so, uh, I think uh, there will be more kind of standardized regulation will happen, I assume at the federal level in America, and it will uh, probably at the international level as well. And I th- think that has to happen in order for the um, AV uh, market to develop uh, internationally. Um, uh, the car companies have to know by which standards and protocols they're going to be operating
2: yeah, but I think that with respect to, to to this particular one, I think it's really good that NHTSA has finally come out there and said, look, when there are crashes, you've got to share your data. We're not going to compete on the safety end of this thing. We're going to cooperate on the safety end of this thing. And and to me, the crashes and when it, when it doesn't work is because we didn't know what we didn't know, not. Rumsfeld, I guess, passed away, but not to use his quote, but whatever. Uh, although he was Princeton. But anyway, that's another story. But uh, uh, no, really, we, we, we have to share that information, understand it. And, you know, capitalist society, you can't have collusion and things like that, whatever. But we should be colluding on safety. We should be cooperating on safety. If this isn't safe, if, if this isn't safe then that is the Hindenburg moment. It's not going to happen. Okay, forget about it. Take all your money out now, run for the hills, whatever. Sweep it under the rug, do whatever you need to do. But, but we've got to compete. We've got to cooperate on safety. You've got to share the data. We have to say, okay, what happened? And let's fix it as opposed to uh, uh, let's hide it and hope it doesn't happen again. no. And I think that's the important piece of this thing. And it's not just for the vehicles out there without a driver. It's for the Teslas, too. It's for the Volvos, too. It's for the, you know, the the Subarus that are out on the road now that people are taking their hands off the wheel, feet off the pedals, relaxing, which is very good for them. But if these things crash, we should figure out Why? Okay, and it has to be put out there, and I think this is a this is, you know, this is as as a nice of a thing to come out of a government uh, in a very long time.
0: You know, John was pointing out, Alan, that the differences in the state regulations and and the need for some uh, federal action here in Florida, as a for instance, a new law takes effect today authored by Senator Jeff Brandes, who who we know pretty well, authorizing the operation of low-speed autonomous delivery vehicles throughout the state. So the door is open.
2: Yeah, and and, and they've done it. And I think that's one of the good things that Florida has done because because why? And and the important thing in that legislation is it allows those low-speed vehicles to operate For short distances in places where the speed limit is substantially higher, especially when you have to, you know, if you have a 25 mile an hour vehicle and there's a 45 mile an hour road you have to cross. It had been that you couldn't cross that 45 mile an hour road with your 25 mile an hour vehicle. And so, I mean whatever even if you know the traffic light or whatever and you know some traffic engineer was out there oh no you don't so and you know that that does a lot and and again you know there are a lot of these sort of legislative initiatives that have to be put in a lot of places before we we actually can can uh, this this technology moves forward
0: John, we wanted to uh, ask you a, a bit uh, for, for our audience. Tell us more about Sifted.eu.
1: Yes, I'd like, yes. Well, uh, I took on a new job at the EFT in kind of 2016, writing about kind of uh, technology and the impact of technology. And I was going around the world, uh, seeing what was going on on the West Coast of China and, in uh, sorry, the West Coast of the US and China. And uh, I thought there was a really interesting kind of tech story taking place in our own backyard in Europe that no one was really capturing fully. Uh, That, uh, I mean, clearly Europe has been a long way behind in terms of the kind of consumer internet and the tech revolution. But there was uh, a lot of money going into uh, tech startups. Um, And uh, as we are now seeing, uh, some of these companies are becoming quite significant companies, Um, clearly not on the scale that we're seeing in the West Coast of America or China. But um, there are now kind of uh, unicorns, decacorns that are emerging on quite a big scale. Um, and people are making a lot of money in this area now. Um, there is a lot of uh, kind of engineering talent in Europe. Um, there is a lot of uh, technological expertise. Um, there is a, a lot of kind of money now looking um, to um, go into the tech startups. There's a lot of u- very good universities that are spawning great ideas. So there's a lot of the kind of compost needed to grow some really interesting companies, and that's really what we're writing about. Uh, So uh, all across Europe, you know, the UiPath, a robotics process automation company, kind of $35 billion valuation company emerged out of Bucharest from nowhere. And you've got kind of games companies developing out of Copenhagen. You've got kind of fintech companies in Amsterdam and Stockholm. So uh, there are companies emerging all around Europe now that I think are becoming interesting uh, kind of global companies. And uh, it's fascinating to see how some of the US VCs, who I think have, Traditionally, been quite kind of scornful about what's going on in Europe. Uh, people like Sequoia are now coming into Europe and beginning to invest and write some quite big checks uh, to invest in these companies.
0: Any any particular startups that uh, that uh, excite you at the moment?
1: Well, I think um, the two areas that uh, Europe has some kind of global uh, traction on are uh, kind of the, in the fintech area. um, uh, and uh, you're seeing that in uh, London, um, yeah. you know, companies like kind of TransferWise or uh, Klarna out of Sweden or Adyen out of the Netherlands, um, but also in the AI sector. Uh, I think you are getting a lot of kind of AI expertise coming out of the universities. Um, DeepMind uh, was obviously kind of bought up by um, Google, uh, but you have a lot of AI startups trying to apply sometimes quite basic AI to different types of industries. Um, and I think particularly in the healthcare sector, you're getting kind of a merger of AI expertise and healthcare, um, which are producing really interesting uh, kind of research, medical research companies now. Um, uh, and also in your your area of transport, uh, you're getting companies, startups developing, offering different kinds of mobility solutions, particularly in um, scooters, uh, like everywhere uh, and uh, around the world, there has been a kind of... Uh, a, big boomlet in a uh, kind of scooter investment um, but also kind of delivery companies um, on demand food delivery um, and also you know, very rapid 10-minute uh, grocery delivery services which are uh, emerging as well.
2: Yeah I, I was going to comment I, I guess you know I, I we played in Europe or I played in Europe for, for sometime with respect to logistics in Europe and and really the the log, the, the, the logistics industry with respect to technological innovation and and, and software and delivery and on-time delivery and all these sort of things to, to to put it into really a code rather than um, you know is what you know some dispatcher's head and whatever absolutely uh, your. England was leading, in and much, much better, my view is, than, than in the U.S.
0: Uh, the website, once again, for, for more info, is sifted.eu, and people can also find you, John, at the Financial Times, the ft.com. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today.
1: My pleasure great talking to you Beth
2: John a lot of fun thank you I really appreciated it again uh, it's nice uh, it's nice that we don't know the answer we're, we're we're trying to ask the right question and that's always very challenging
0: sure. we want to Excellent. thank our sponsor as well the smart etf's smart transportation and Technology ETF the ticker symbol for the ETf is m o t o And more info can be found at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us, too, if you choose. And you can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening, watching, and please continue to stay safe.
2: Thank you. I I won't say happy July 4th, because, of course, John, (laughs) you you don't celebrate July 4th, right? Not so much. (laughs) Not so much, right? But, hey, uh, I guess uh, good (laughs) luck against Ukraine. (laughs)
1: Thank you very much. All right. Uh, uh, Good to talk to you both.
0: Thank Thank you. you.